Good morning, everybody. Really glad you're with us today, whether you're here with me at the Northfield campus or at the Farmington Hills campus with Pastor Sean or joining us from your home. Really glad you are here with us today. A popular leadership book from a decade ago had the title, You're in Charge, Now What? You find yourself suddenly in charge of your team or your department, maybe become CEO of the company or president of the homeowners association or head of the golf league, whatever it is, you are now in charge and people are looking at you. Maybe it's something you sought after because you knew you would do a better job than the people who had that position before you, or maybe it's thrust upon you unexpectedly or even unwanted, but you're in charge, now what? The Apostle Paul gathers the leaders of the church of Ephesus in Acts chapter 20 together, and he tells them, I am going away, you're in charge. And then he he gives them some instructions, some guidance for how they can handle this, you're in charge, now what encounter. And every year at our own church, there are new elders and new staff members who know this feeling when the baton is passed to them. The speech that we're going to look at from the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts is really the only one in the entire book of Acts that's addressed to the church. We have lots of examples in the book of Acts of evangelistic speeches to pagans about the reality of God, to Jewish people about Jesus as the Messiah, but this is the only one that's actually addressed to insiders, to church leaders, as he prepares them for what is to come. Today we see Paul not the evangelist, but Paul the pastor. Now chapter 20 opens with the Apostle Paul traveling all around the area, revisiting churches that he started, now to strengthen the disciples, to encourage people in their faith. He spends the three months of winter in Greece, nice move, and it's really important that he spends this three months in Greece in Corinth because we believe this is where he may have written his letter to the Romans which has become a a theological treasure for the church to this day. The Apostle Paul never travels by himself. This is very wise. He travels with other people. And what we see in our chapter of the day, chapter 20, we see a model for worship. That's what we heard read earlier, a model for worship. And then we see a model for leadership, a model for worship and a model for leadership. First, worship. In, In verses 7 through 12, which were read earlier, we have really one of the only descriptions of a first century worship service. It's like a snapshot frozen in time of how the earliest Christians worshiped. And you heard the description read, but I wanna point out a few things in what we saw. First of all, they gathered on the first day of the week. That's what we heard on the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Very early in history, Christians moved from celebrating the Sabbath on Saturday to making Sunday the focal point. Why did they shift? It wasn't just to give us what we now know as a weekend, though that was a terrific idea. They do it because Jesus was risen from the dead on a Sunday. And so every Sunday is to be Resurrection Day. Every Sunday is to be Easter. That's the primary reason the focus becomes Sunday. But they also do it as a statement of priority. Because what we do on the first day of the week establishes the tone for the rest of the week. We gather on the first day of the week 
to remind ourselves that God is first. And so this rhythm of gathering the first day to show priority and the first day to establish precedence, uh, this is a rhythm of life that continues, I think, to this day. The first day of the week was when the early church gathered. And then we saw also on this example, they met in a home. It's described as a house. And, uh, and we know for sure that the early church met in homes. That was the location. They gathered in clusters of small groups in homes. This is a matter of historical record. The book of Acts mentions the house of a man named Jason, the house of a man named Titus Justus, Philip's house, Lydia's house, the house of the Philippian jailer, the house of Mary, the mother of John. That is where people met. And when writers of the New Testament letters wanted to greet believers in certain locations, they sent greetings to the believers at the house of Priscilla and Aquila, at the house of Aristopolis. Greet the believers at the house of Narcissus, which sounds like a small group for egomaniac recovery people. <laughs> greet the believers at the house of Nympha or Onesphorus or Archippus. In the New Testament, the idea was not that the church had this home group option that you could or could not be part of. Home groups were the church. Now, initially, the church met in the temple and from house to house. They met in a large group, the temple, and from house to house until the temple was destroyed. And now, the only option is the house. The early church met house to house, and church buildings like this one weren't even legal uh, until 300 years after the birth of Christianity. And then Christians kind of went back to the large group, small group model. And I am so grateful for the buildings that our church has, this building in Northville, that building in Farmington Hills. And this building gets used all the time, every day, uh, for the church and for the community. And really, we are so blessed to have a facility as nice as the, one, as the ones that we have. Uh, but remember, the church is not a building. The church is people, and wherever God's people gather, there is the church. The early church was wherever they were, and we know they met in homes. Uh, notice also in this snapshot of worship, they came together to break bread. That's what it says. And I think this means they're coming together to celebrate sacrament, to celebrate the Lord's Supper or communion. Curiously, in this example, Acts 20, there's no mention of music or singing, but we know the church sang from other places in the book of Acts. But here, this seems to be an example of a preaching and sacrament service. This is word and sacrament, which were central to the early church and still are to this day. And then in this example in Acts 20, we see this was a night meeting. The first day of the week, they met at night. Now, I think this had more to do with Paul's travel schedule that's what it, it said in the reading. Let's look at that again. Paul spoke to the people and, because he intended to leave the next day, kept on talking until midnight. Seated in a window, this is a great detail that Scripture includes, is it not, was a young man named Eutychus who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. When he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story and was picked up dead. Just a normal day at church. They break the church service to go and heal Eutychus. He's raised from the dead. And then they resume the service. And Paul goes on preaching and they break some bread some more. This is a very long sermon that Paul gives. And in the Puritan church of New England, not all that long ago, the preacher would preach an hour and a half. And they would put a big hourglass in the front of the room to make sure the preacher preached long enough. 
so that no one felt gypped. You don't know how good you have it, church. (laughs) The longest sermon on record was in 1955, given by Reverend Clinton Lacey of West Richfield, Washington. One sermon, one guy, you want to guess how long? 14 hours and 18 minutes. One sermon, one preacher, 14 hours, 18 minutes of Pastor Lucy. They said, quote, our pastor is long but never winded, unquote. And in verse 9 in this sample, Paul talked on and on, it says, and a guy named Eutychus starts doing the head nod thing uh, like some of you are doing right now. And uh, now in our day, in our church, we've figured out ways to cover up the head nod if you're a church goer. You know, there's the, uh, uh, yeah, that was, <clears throat> that was a good point. I am, uh, I'm nodding in agreement with what I, just, what I just heard, yeah. Or there's the read the Bible move. I've seen you do that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read the Bible now. And if you're in a Pentecostal church, you have even more options. Uh, I wasn't sleeping, I was slain in the spirit. That's, that's a thing, isn't it? I was not sleeping, but, but slain. Uh, the fact that they show someone falling asleep is just so real, and a lot of preachers to this day are comforted by the fact that the great apostle Paul, even Paul, had people fall asleep during his sermons. It's very human and very real, and so here we see in the Bible a snapshot of a very real human worshiping experience of the earliest Christians. And then after it tells us about the model of worship, a snapshot of worship, it goes and talks about leadership. This is the part of the passage that was not read. But Paul asks for the elders of the church to gather together with him. And he's been with them now for three years, and they have heart, a heart for each other. And he tells them that he's leaving. In fact, this will be the final time they ever see each other. And in this second half of chapter 20, he really uh, models great leadership. He gives a, a model and a charge, a model and a charge. A model, he says, I have lived the life that I'm asking you to live. I have led in the way I'm asking you to lead. I've tried to model what it means to live the gospel, not, not just tell you with words, not just give long sermons, but to actually live it out in my life so you could see what the gospel looks like embodied. A model, and then he gives a charge. Keep watch over yourselves. Keep watch over whatever flock over which God has entrusted you. He is a model and a charge, and this is really good leadership. Acts chapter 20 was the passage that I used when I was coming to Ward Church 14 years ago to be the pastor here. Of course, I had to leave another congregation, a congregation that had my heart. I had been there nine years, and I called the elders of that church together, of Mount Pleasant Community Church, and I opened my Bible to Acts chapter 20, and this was the template that I used uh, Paul's speech to those elders to give to my elders. And I walked them through this, this second half of, of chapter 20. I said to those elders... You know, as I said, this is Paul's words to the elders at Ephesus, but I want you to hear them in this moment as my words to you, the elders of Mount Pleasant. You know how I lived the whole time I was with you? From the first day, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears and in the midst of severe testing. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem. 
And in this metaphor with my Mount Pleasant elders, Jerusalem was Ward Church. Jerusalem was Detroit. I'm, I'm leaving the mountain of Pleasant and I'm going down to the Detroit area, to Northville, uh, to this new church. I'm going to Jerusalem not knowing what will happen to me there. That was true. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. I felt that then, I feel it now. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, Paul says, I said, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. So be on your guard. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down. And I had my Bible open that day in Mount Pleasant. I said, all, all those elders knelt down. Let's all kneel down. When all the elders knelt down, we followed this exactly. We knelt down with all of them, and they prayed. They prayed, and we prayed. And they all wept, and we all wept. As they embraced Paul, and these elders embraced me. And they kissed him, and we skipped that part. <laughs> this is a farewell speech from the Apostle Paul to the elders at the church in Ephesus, a speech that I borrowed as my farewell speech to the elders of my church. But it's a mistake to save affectionate words and wise counsel for that moment when you think you're never going to see that person again. Don't wait to tell someone what they mean to you when they're about to move to another state or when they are on their deathbed or you are on yours. Tell them now. Commend them to God now. Love them now. Now, Paul's counsel to the church works even if a pastor's not leaving. I'm, I'm not leaving. And the charge that Paul gave to the church at Ephesus and I gave to a former church, I want, I want to give to all of you right now. It's a charge primarily for leaders, but not exclusively so. And this is what I want every one of you to hear this morning uh, from Paul to his church, from me to you, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. First of all, keep watch over who? Yourselves. Keep watch over yourselves. You are the hardest person you will ever lead. A.W. Tozer, the famous pastor and author, uh, he said, you know who gives me the most trouble in my church? Me, you are the hardest person you will ever lead. Paul says, keep watch over yourself, yourself. Watch your heart, guard your attitude, keep from ignorance. Don't let your own fire fade. Don't drift, don't drift from God, don't drift from community, don't drift from your purpose. Be vigilant. First, keep watch over yourselves, and then keep watch over whatever flock the Holy Spirit has placed you over. In other words, be a shepherd. This is what we saw about shepherds from the text today. 
I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Be on your guard against wolves. Lead like a shepherd, not a wolf. Wolves care nothing for the sheep. They only care about their own appetite, about their own ego. Don't be a wolf. Be a shepherd. Follow the shepherd model of leadership. In verse 32, Paul commits them to the word of God and to the word of grace, and he prays with them. It's a very sweet time for those elders and the apostle Paul. And in chapter 21, verse 1, it says they had to, they had to tear themselves away from this sweet moment. I want to speak now directly to those of you that do lead in this church and beyond. And I'm going to ask for various groups to stand to your feet uh, for a while uh, here in Northfield, there in Farmington Hills as well. And even if you're at home by yourself and you fit one of these categories, if you're at a place where you can do so safely, I'd like you to stand too. So listen to these categories. First of all, I'd like you to stand to your feet. If you are an elder at Ward Church, whether you serve on session now or used to serve on session, you're still elder, former Grace Chapel elders. If you're an elder in the room at this hour, would you please stand to your feet? The elders, thank you. Let me add to that, trustees and deacons, would you please stand to your feet wherever you are, here or in Farmington Hills? If you're a small group leader, Please stand to your feet, small group leaders and shepherds, adult life group leaders, uh, Bible study leaders. If you volunteer in children's ministry, you are a shepherd. If you volunteer anywhere in kids' ministry, would you please stand to your feet uh, at this time? Anyone who has a flock under their care or share a flock under their care with anybody within the Ward Church uh, community, please stand to your feet. Thank you, shepherds. Hold on. Stay standing. I want to add to this the shepherds who shepherd outside of Ward Church, and I know there's some redundancies here, but if you're a business owner or a work supervisor or a classroom teacher or an athletic coach or a government leader or you lead in a different church or you lead a club of some kind, would you please stand to your feet wherever you are as well? If you're a mom or dad with kids in your home, would you please stand because God has given you a flock to shepherd? Yeah. And all the shepherds... Uh, Keep watch over your flock. And I don't mean to be intimidating, but one day you and I will give an account for how we shepherded the flock that God entrusted to us. It's a very sobering thing. So be shepherds, not wolves. Remain standing and hear this charge from Peter this time. This is to the elders among you. This is from Peter to all of you standing. I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings who will also share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care. Watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. A three-point charge. Watch over yourself. First of all, you are the hardest person you will ever lead. Don't let your fire fade. Don't drift Keep watch over the flock over which God has placed you, whether your flock is two people or four people or 50 people or 100 people, and be a shepherd, not a wolf. 
take more interest in your flock than you do in your own ego or appetite or your quest for power or recognition. It doesn't mean sheep can go wherever they want to go. Nope, sheep need to be led. And I think people really do want to be led by a shepherd who cares about them. I'm going to ask the rest of the church now to stand to your feet as we, uh, as we pray for the shepherds and for our church. God, we pray for the leaders and shepherds of our church and of our community, those who were standing uh, just a moment ago. Give to them wisdom and courage and humility and joy. Use them to bless others through their leadership and shepherding. And then we pray for everybody here, every person, both campuses, everybody online. God, for your church, bless, restore, heal, strengthen your people. May we worship and lead and live and love in ways that bring you honor. Glory is thy name, most holy God, in whose name we now pray. And everybody agreed and said, amen.